This morning we're going to be in Joshua 8, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, Joshua 8. We've got another pile of rocks today. We've had two piles of rocks so far in Joshua. The first pile was when they crossed over the Jordan River and they, by faith, uh, stepped into the water. God stopped the water from the Jordan from flowing. And then they took 12 stones from the middle of that river and they set it up uh, on the land there and in the middle. Joshua did his own little pile in the middle, but they also set another pile over there. And that was just to show the, uh, in their lives the death of unbelief, which is what their, uh, you know, their parents did. They didn't believe God and um, didn't go across the Jordan when they could. But this next generation says, no, we believe God. We're going to do all that God has commanded us. And so that first pile of stones is a wonderful testimony to their trusting in the Lord. The second set of stones we had last week was at the Battle of Ai when they lost. Remember, they didn't pray um, like they were supposed to before they went in. They went at it in their own strength, in their own way. Um, and they got beat. They flat out got beat. Well, Joshua got upset before the Lord and Threw a little tantrum there, and God told him to get up. You got sin in the camp. That's why you didn't win. You need to take care of that. You need to get rid of the sin in the camp, and then we can conquer your enemies. But until you get sin in your own life taken care of, we can't conquer the outside enemies. You need to get rid of that sin. And so they, they found who it was. It was Achan, and they stoned him. They found out who, where it was and everything, and they, they killed him. And they left that pile of rocks there above him, another pile of rocks. Not exactly a, a great pile of rocks you want hanging around, but it was definitely a, a memorial, a remembrance that... Um, you can't have sin in the camp, and you got to do it God's way. you got to pray for us. If they had prayed before they went into Ai the first time, God would have showed them, you can't go. You've got problems. Joshua didn't know, and how could he keep track of a million-plus people and who did what? Um, but if he'd stopped and prayed before he went, he would have, God would have showed him, you need to get rid of this, and then you can go. So today is they're going back to Ai to conquer. Now that the sin has been taken care of, we start off in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai uh, and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. So God gives him permission. He tells him again, Joshua, be strong and of good courage, basically. He says, don't be afraid or dismayed. I don't want you to worry about this. We've handled it. Now that you've prayed and sought my uh, wisdom, we're going to go do this the right way. I want you to take all of them. Does anybody remember from last week how many people went up or how many were suggested to go up against AI? Two, yeah. two to, two to 3,000 is all. 12, now, there's only 12,000 people in the city of AI. And so they thought, well, two or 3,000 warriors against 12,000 total in the town. So who knows how many guys there were that was able, they, were, they were able to fight. They thought that'd be enough. Well, they were wrong. I want you to see what God tells them to do. Bring everybody. I want them all there. Now, we've learned that this is a picture of our walk. Israel is Jacob. Jacob is us, in a sense, um, in a lot of ways. It's just a show of our spiritual walk. We go through the Red Sea. We get baptized. We're led by God. And he takes us to the Jordan River. We cross over that Jordan River. That's a baptism of the Holy Spirit. We begin to conquer enemies by the power of the Holy Spirit. We see that. So as we see this, and God says, no, I don't want you to go at it halfway. I want you to conquer your enemies full strength. I think that's important to understand. Some of us have little sins and some of us have big sins, um, or a mix of both. We probably have a mix of both, I'd say. And some of the bigger sins, boy, we go both barrels blazing, right? Both guns a blazing at them because we want them dead. 
We don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to be that kind of person anymore. But it's the smaller ones. We're like, oh, that's a, that's a minor one. God, I'm really going to stop, you know, gossiping. I'm really going to try hard not to be so angry anymore, you know, whatever it is. But God wants us to go full strength at those like we do the other ones. Every enemy deserves our entire attention and deserves to die completely. Make no deals with these sins or our enemies. Absolutely wipe them out. Get rid of them. So God tells them, I want you to take all of these guys with you. Everybody. Just like we did to Jericho. We all march around. We all go after this. I want you all at Ai. So, verse 3, Joshua rose and all the people of war to go up against Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. That's a different group. It's not the total, but that's 30,000 he's going to put in a different location for the ambush we're going to discover. Behold, you shall lie in ambush. This is what he told them. Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind the city. That's to the west. Remember, they're coming from the east side towards the west. Jericho, Ai, these 30,000 on the back side of Ai. Okay? I want you to stay there and get ready. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. When I and all the people who are with me will approach the city... And it will come about when they come out against us, as at the first, that we shall flee before them, for they will come out after us till we have drawn them from the city, and they will say they are fleeing before us as at the first. Therefore, we will flee before them, then you shall rise from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand, and it will be when you have taken the city that you shall set it on fire. According to the commandment of the Lord, you shall do. See, I have commanded you. There's a lot of similarities and there's a lot of differences in this battle. A lot of different things going on here. What, since when does God need an ambush? You know? Why aren't we marching around Ai like we did before with Jericho? What's with all the rigmarole? That's the word my dad used to use. Rigmarole. What's, what's with it? I don't know. There's no deep spiritual theological meaning behind it. The idea is God's doing it differently and they need to pay attention. This is how this city is going to get won. First got to take care of sin in your life and then we're going to conquer your enemy this way, not that way. I've got lots of plans. I've got lots of ideas. I've got lots of kind of automatic pilot spiritual things in my life that I just kind of go and do. And we do. We all have standing orders with God. Read your word, read the Bible, pray, fellowship together, worship together. We're called to all of that, right? We kind of know that. Um, but we got to pray our way through it because not everything is the same every time. Um, there, there is a, a certain path that we just kind of think this is how it goes. I'll give you an example. For me to get to this place right here where I'm standing and teaching God's word in front of you people. There is a path. It's a, a typical path. It's high school. It's college. It's seminary. It's you get put someplace to do a church. That's normal, right? Um, that's not how God did it with me. I tried that route. I, I kind of, but my, <laughs> I didn't succeed at that route. I did a different route. I found another way. Marines, improvise, adapt, and overcome, right? Well, that didn't work, so do something else. So I went to high school. I went to the Marine Corps. I got the Marine Corps, and I went to college for a year, and I did well. Don't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't drop out or flop out. I, I quit. I flat out quit college. Um, this is the second time I've said that in two Sundays, right? The parents are here like, I'm never telling my kid to go to this church again. Um, I quit. I was tired of arguing with the professors about who God is and what his word says. And his word is true. They just, they disagreed. I said, well, okay. Well, you're wrong. So I left. And you're not getting my money anymore. I'm not going to pay you to lie. So I left. And I went to work at Pella Windows. And then I was an underling at Calvary Chapel uh, Omaha for eight years. And then they sent me out to start this church. That was my route. 
It's not everybody's route. Some of you are like, you don't have a degree? I don't. I don't have a degree. It'd be awkward for you to leave right now, so you'll have to wait till everybody goes. <laughs> but no, I don't. Because the disciples, the scripture that God gave me for that, to encourage me, and this is not about me, I don't mean to make it that way, but it's the path that's different, was that um, when they went before, the disciples had gone before the Pharisees and kind of chewed them out and said, you can do what you want to, we're not going to stop preaching Jesus. They realized, the Pharisees did, that they were unlearned and untrained men, but they had been with Jesus. That's the difference. Have you been with Jesus? So I've been with Jesus for a long time now, and he lets me teach. Um, as long as he wants me to, I'll do it. Different route. AI is different than Jericho. It's a different way to do it. Um, so I want you to do it the way I told you to do it. I want you to do this in an ambush style. I want you to lead them out. He's actually going to use their failure. This is interesting to me. I don't know what the original plan was. It could have been to march around like Jericho, but the plan now is, after their failure at AI the first time, is I want you to think, I want them to think that you're going to do the same thing you did before, and we're going to play it back on them. So I don't know what the plan before is, but the plan now is, after the failure is, why don't you go up there again, run from them like you did before, and they're going to think that they're going to beat you, and you're going to turn back on them. And when they turn around, the city's going to be burning. There's no place to go to. Those people are going to come out, and you're going to come out, and you're going to win this way. So he uses their failure as bait. Interesting how God can turn things out for good in our lives. He can work things. He works all things together for good for those who love him or are called according to his purpose. He does. Now, I'm not encouraging you to go fail, sin, and be disobedient to God so that God can use it to bring him glory. That's what Paul said. Don't, don't sin that grace may abound. Obedience is far better. But God's going to use this. And so we see a little bit of grace here and mercy. Even in the Old Testament, chapter 8 of Joshua. It's all right, Josh. We can work this. I can work this out. So he does. So I want you to do this. Verse, uh, let's see, where are we? Yeah, next one, 9. Joshua therefore sent them out, and they went to lie in ambush and stayed between Bethel and Ai, on the west side of Ai. But Joshua lodged that night among the people. Then Joshua rose up early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people to Ai. And all the people of war who were with him went up and drew near, and they came before the city and camped on the north side of Ai. Now, a valley lay between them and Ai. So he took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush uh, uh, between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. And when they had set the people, all the army that was on the north side of the city and its rear guard on the west side of the city, Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley. So they got it all set up now. Um, verse 14. Now it happened. When the king of Ai saw it, that the men of the city hurried and rose early and went out against Israel to battle. He and all his people at an appointed place before the plain. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel made as if they were beaten before them and fled by the way of the wilderness. So all the people who were in Ai were called together to pursue them. And they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. Plans unfolding. There was not a man left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. So they left the city open and pursued Israel. What did they just do? They did the exact same thing Israel did the day before or the week before, whenever it was before when they tried to attack. They hastened and they hurried. They didn't see, see it through. They didn't figure out what was going on. They didn't pray about it. Now, they're, they're Canaanites. They're not going to pray to the right God anyway. But this is a learning lesson for everybody. The whole world is watching this nation of Israel beat Jericho. Then they go to Ai. and God, Everybody's watching. 
And we have to remember that. Israel, Jacob, got saved and released from Eden, and God used them and chose them to show the world who he was. He didn't just save Israel. He, want, he did, but he wanted all the world to be saved. And when they left Egypt, Egyptians left, Ethiopians left, many different people groups left with them, believing God, and they crossed the Red Sea with the nation of Israel. A lot of people, we've discovered that, we see that. That's the same thing going on here. It's a battle. Israel was the first learning lesson. Boy, you better pray before you go into battle. But then Ai does the exact same thing by hastening and hurrying into battle without, without seeking guidance or even seeing this God. See, in Jericho, um, Rahab had never met this God before, but she knew to have a relationship with him. She knew that this God, whoever this God is over there with the nation of Israel, is bigger than our gods any day. And so I want that God. And she knew that. And she made that decision and saved her whole family because of it. So there, is peop- there are people getting, they're learning. Now, keep that in mind as you walk with the Lord. He did want to save you and he loves you and he wants to carry you, but he is using you. He is teaching everybody around you what it's like to walk with him and who he is and what he's not like. And you're going to be a proverb. Whether you're a good proverb or a bad proverb will be depend on your obedience or disobedience, but you will be a proverb. You're going to learn, and they're going to learn from you. And so this folks, they could have learned and said, boy, those guys hurried into something. They shouldn't have done it. Look how we beat them. But they fall into the same thing. They got full of self-confidence. We can do this. It's on our own. It's up to us. Um, I just need to ask God to help me with my confidence. Not true. God needs to be your all in all and do that. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of, a dilig- of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. You can't be hasty with the Lord. Now, you can be hasty to obedience. There's a couple scriptures that say that. Be hasty to obedience to God, of course. Nothing wrong with rushing to obedience. But when it comes to situation, a fork in the road, a opportunity or open door or closed door in front of you, don't be hasty. Pray it through. It may look like every other open door in your life. Pray it through. What does God want me to do in this situation? It may not be Jericho. It may not be AI. It may be a completely different way of going about this. I need to know what God wants me to do in this. Do we march around it? Do we set up an ambush? And there's going to be other tactics that God uses as he conquers the enemy. What does God want me to do now? We've got to stop and pause. Don't be hasty. Well, they do. Verse 18. Then the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the spear that is in your hand toward Ai. For I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand toward the city. Now, we see that a lot. God says to do it, and then the narrator decides to tell us that they did it. And for some of us, it's like, okay, I got it. There's a reason for There's a reason for everything in the Bible. He's telling us that because God said it, and then he did it. God said it, and then he did it. And that is repetitious throughout Scripture. God said it, and then he did it. He's trying to teach us. Just because we heard him say it doesn't mean we've been obedient. Just because we've heard him say it doesn't mean we've been obedient. It's when we do what he said that we become obedient. And so Joshua does what he's supposed to do. He stretches out that spear. Now that is a hand signal to the guys, the 30,000 on the west side. of. They're going to come in um, with this hand signal, but it's also symbolic of something else. Does anybody remember any other time where God said, stretch out your hand? He did it with Moses several times, didn't he? First start off with the snake, right? Throw down your staff. They're not going to believe me. Pharaoh's not going to believe me. Throw down your staff. Throw it down. Turn into a snake. Pick it up by the tail. Okay, so we got that staff going on. Then we got the Red Sea. Hold up your staff. Red Sea parts. Does anyone remember it? Hold up your staff. They're winning the battle. That's it. 
They're, 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 they're win- every time. Now, there's nothing magical about the staff. That's our tendency. We've got to get that staff. If we only we had the staff. No, no, it had everything to do with God saying, put out the staff. And then he did it. And that, it, he could have said, stick out your right foot. And it still would have worked. It doesn't matter what it is. It's what God told him to do. Put out the staff. This time it's not a staff though. It's like a staff, but it's a spear. I noticed that. I was praying. I was like, okay, God, what's the story here? What do you want me to teach him this morning? Let's stuck out. Stick out that staff. So let me finish and then I'll try to I'll share with you what I believe God showed me this morning on it. To add to it anyway, to add to the teaching. So those in ambush arose quickly. They see this spear. They rose quickly out of their place. They ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand and they entered the city and took it and hurried to set the city on fire like they're supposed to. And when the men of Ai looked behind them, they saw, and behold, the smoke of the city ascended to heaven, so they had no power to flee this way or that way. And the people who had fled to the wilderness turned back on the pursuers. Now when Joshua and Israel saw um, that the ambush had taken the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. Then the others came out of the city, came against them. So the 30,000 lit the place on fire, then they're coming out. So now they're just sandwiched by the nation of Israel, these people of Ai. So they were caught in the middle of Israel, some on this side, some on that side, and they struck them down so that they let none of them remain or escape. But the king of Ai, they took alive and brought him to Joshua. They're going to do something to him later, but we'll talk about that afterwards. You've got two different sticks here. You've got a staff and you've got a spear. One's meant to shepherd. That's what Moses did with it. Come this way, go over here. Only time we see him ever using it like a weapon would maybe when he struck the rock the first time and then struck it the second time, which he wasn't supposed to do. That's the only time he ever hit anything with it. Otherwise, he was just leading and guiding. I was thinking about that. And this thing he's putting up now is a spear. It's a completely different tool. It's a weapon. I mean, this may be offensive, but if you were to write this today, if this is to happen today, he would have said, stretch out your rifle and point it. You know? um, we don't think of it that way, but a spear is, I mean, it's an act of war. You point your spear at somebody, there's a fight that's going to happen. Someone points a gun at you, there's a fight that's going to take place. It's an act of war against you. It's the idea. And uh, it reminded me when Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. You know, we get mixed up with that sometimes. I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. I came to divide. I came to peace between man and God for sure, but not between us. You're either for me or you're against me. There's a, there's, a, there's a dividing that takes place in that. The second thing I noticed here is between the staff and this and this weapon of war reminded me of Psalm 23. You read it about it every funeral. Every funeral, somebody wants Psalm 23, the shepherd's psalm. Many of you memorized it. Um, I haven't, so I'm going to read it to you. Well, I, I start well, you know, and I, and I even have the Charlton Heston sound when I say it, but then I, I forget some of the words and they kind of trail off because I forgot the rest. So I'm going to read it to you. Let's see if you can figure out the two weapons here, or the two tools. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. That's a shepherding. He switches gears here. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Both bring comfort. You got the rod and the staff. The staff is for the sheep. You know, you kind of guide them along. You keep it, it's got to get you along. They're stuck in a crack. You reach down, you pull them out. It's for them. It's for the sheep. Maybe tap them a little bit at the most. But you're leading and you're guiding them and you're doing that. Then there's this rod, though. He's got the other side. He's got that rod. And that's for the wolves. That's for the wolves. Sometimes it's for correction, for us, sometimes. But for the most part, it's for our enemies, the enemies of the sheep. 
Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. That comforts me to know that. I'm all for peaceful Jesus. You know, the pictures you see of him doing this. I don't know how many fingers he holds up or whatever. Those aren't real pictures of him, by the way, but they, that's fine. I like the flipping tables, Jesus, though, too. I get that. I understand that. I understand both. Don't misunderstand me. I see the little kid sitting on Jesus' lap. I love that about him. But I also know that he's a really good shepherd. He will lead and guide me, but he will also protect me. He's there for that. And he's there for that for you too. Don't ever forget that. Yes, we talk a lot about God lead me by your Holy Spirit. And that's absolutely true. But also remember this, he's there to protect you too. He's got a staff for you, but he's got a rod for everybody else around you that's not with you or it's against you. That's encouraging to me and should be for you as well. And so we see this. We see this two pictures. We see Moses carrying the staff. And what does Moses represent? The law. Bible tells us that. Moses represents the law. And what's the law do? It shepherds us. It leads us to Christ. You need a savior. You need a savior. But then once you come to Christ, all of a sudden things change. You're on the offense. I didn't give you a spirit of fear but one of, or of timidity, but of power, one of might. That's the spirit I gave you now. And we're going offense now. We're going to pull people from hell. We're going to snag souls. That's what we're here to do now. It's interesting. That's what I saw anyway. That's what God added to the, that this morning. I had everything set. And then he says, what about this? Oh, yeah. Better teach that. Verse 24. And it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness where they pursued them, when they had all fallen, or when they all had fallen by the edge of the sword, until they were consumed, that all the Israelites returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. That's everybody. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. Everybody dies in Ai. So it was that all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. Now, some people have a hard time with that, and I understand why you would. It does make you cringe a little bit. It's like, man, really? I mean, everybody? I just want to remind us who these people are. These are the Canaanites. And remember why God is doing what he's doing here. The Canaanite people have gotten so far from any kind of normalcy, any kind of the way they were created, they were offering up their children to Moloch. Living children, two, three, four, five years old, offering up to Moloch to appease him, to appease their God. And many, many other sins that were so perverted. It's not like they were a bunch of gossips or a bunch of whatever minor sin you may think they are. These are absolutely depraved people raising kids to be depraved, to become better sinners than they were. And so God is being merciful and saying, I can give him 400 years. I don't know how many, some say that's four generations. I think that's longer. Many generations to get this fixed and to return to him, which means he's been ministering to them and witnessing to them this whole time, but he's had enough and he's coming in to wipe them out and move these next, and done. You will not have more children and raise them to hate me and to sin against one another. I'm done with it. It's like taking out a rabid dog. We're done. So understand that when we see this all wiped out. Something I noticed and I can't be dogmatic about this. I don't know this for a fact, but he doesn't mention any children in this town. Other towns he does. Men, women, and children, all of them. And that's a struggle for us sometimes. Unless we think eternally, then it's not. But if we're thinking worldly, we think, oh man, wouldn't it be better for them to have lived? Not really. Not around here. How many Facebook posts do we have up of kids in school right now, seven, eight years old, saying about how they were bullied, just weeping and crying and hate school and wish they didn't have to go back because they're being basically tortured every single day, emotionally and, and, and even sometimes physically. It's not that great down here. Now, we're here to be great on God's behalf and to minister the love of Jesus Christ, 
But this is not a great place, and that's why we're so needed. They need to know Jesus. And that's the solution. But for the most part, to die is gain, and it should always be on our minds. To die is gain. Paul understood that. For me to be with you is needful, he says. I'm here to stick around and help you. But for me to die, that's gain. He was ready to go. We put a little too much stock in this life in these hundred years that we live down here. We're merely ambassadors. We're just aliens down here temporarily to minister the best we can to people until he decides to take us home. But you don't have any kids in this town. I don't know if that's just a typo or this didn't feel like documenting it because everybody kind of understood that. But other places he's done. So if, if this is true and there aren't any kids, this is what they do. I mean, it's not sustainable, obviously. You can't kill off all your kids, but at this moment, we don't see any kids dead. We don't see any kids taken out by Israel. It's a depraved country. It's a depraved city. 12,000. Not like some of it, you know, you think 12,000, immediately I thought of, well, that's about the size of Maryville without the college students. That's, that's us. This entire town, that's us. Not like us at all. And I'm not saying we're great, but we ain't AI. We're not like that. There's a remnant. There's a people that love Jesus Christ. He's still ministering. There's a lot of Christians all over the place here. Okay, so it's still good for now. We'll see. But for now, this place is gone to the point where God says, no, I want them all gone. You can keep the cattle though, but the people, they're done. We need to stop this cycle. And he does. So he does. Um, For Joshua did not draw back his hand, verse uh, 26 with which he stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of the land. So not only was it a hand signal, he's actually holding it up while this battle is going on. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as booty for themselves according to the word of the Lord, which he had commanded Joshua. So I'm only doing what God told me to do. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever, a desolation to this day. And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until evening. And as soon as the sun went down, Joshua commanded that they should take his corpse down from the tree, cast it at the entrance of the gate of the city, and raise over it a great heap of stones that remains to this day. That's our third pile of rocks in two chapters, or three cha- or four chapters, I guess. Um, third pile of rocks here. The rocks represent obedience to God. He was the last one, the last one. We wiped them all out, and then we got the last one, and we put the rocks over it. Now, these aren't piles of rocks. You definitely want to... I mean, there's some sorrow mixed in with this. There's a little bit of, ooh, you know. The 12 stones out of the middle of Jordan, that's all good. But this, this is a little, this is different. There's Achan's body over there full of rocks. And then there's this king over here covered with rocks. But they're all memorial rocks. They're all memorial stones to remind us. Uh, do it God's way. Follow his word. And wipe out our enemy utterly. I don't know what enemy you have this morning or what maybe God's brought to your mind because he does do that. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I may not have mentioned it, but all of a sudden something's come to your mind like God, want, I want, God wants you to take care of this sin completely. You're playing with it. You've made an agreement with it. You've taken it halfway. You're going at it half-hearted. I want all of it. It's all got to go. And so take heed to that if he's speaking to you that. Sometimes somebody will do that to me. They'll come up after church. Oh, that was so great, that message. When you talked about this, I'm like, I didn't say that. That's not in there. Oh, you did. You were talking about this, that, and then you said that. I said, I don't think so. Get the tape. And it's not on there. You know? I mean, we have a living relationship with Jesus Christ. He's a real Holy Spirit who really speaks. Somewhere between my mouth and your ears, God does something. And he works. 
We've got to pay attention to that and have that. So whatever he's convicted you of, better get at it. I know I need to get at some things. So, great heap of rocks. Now let's finish up here. Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, in Mount Ebal. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children as, as I'm sorry, Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool. So that would be a natural altar. Um, he does that because he doesn't want anybody looking at the altar. We, want to, we can focus on the sacrifice and we focus on God, but we don't want to be ooh and ah about the altar. Look how the carving, oh, what a great art, artisan. You know, it's amazing what he's done with this. Boy, Josh was really skilled with his, you know, none of that. Just make, it, make a pile of rocks, make another pile of rocks, and then we're going to offer sacrifices because it's the sacrifice that's important. And it's God that's important. Um, you, you don't ever get, you know, and I, and I, I, I can be hypocritical about this. Well, I know I can. Um, and prideful at times. But, I, I, you know, we don't have carpet in here. You people spill way too much for one thing, but we don't have carpet in here. And we don't spend a lot of time and effort on that. It's easy to clean. It's easy to pick up. It's just, but we put carpet in the kids' room because they need something soft to land on when they fall because they do. And it deadens the sound a little bit. And that's why I put the foam up. Um, kind of deadens the sound a little bit in the chairs. But there's reasons behind that. It's a metal building. Where do you go to church? In that metal shed out there, you know? Really? You know? What kind of group of people are you people, you know? Well, we're cheap is what we are. We're cheap. Um, but it doesn't matter. I mean, the, the rain's not hitting us today, you know? You never want to go worship someplace because of the facility. You never want to shun a place either because of the facility. It just shouldn't be an issue at all. It could be a beautiful, ornate building that a long time ago people thought and desired to give God their very best. Please don't misunderstand me on that. But if you build the building and they will come mentality, that's wrong. You never want to do that. If they build it, you know, they will come. We need more glass. We need to do more of this. Uh, you're thinking like man. But you want to give God your best? Great. This is our best for God. This is what we can do. This is what we can afford. And we don't go beyond that. Nothing wrong with that. But I like this. Let's not be about what the place looks like at all. Good or bad. Pretty or ugly. However you want to put it. Or whatever you think of it. Let's focus on the sacrifice of praise. And our Lord Jesus Christ. And his word. Because that's what we're here to do. We're here to worship him. Eyes closed, every, you know, the whole thing. Um, so these kind of scriptures, when they come up, kind of encourage me. So I'm like, you know, we ought to have a better stage. It kind of creaks and all. And this is the same stage we had when we first started over at Hibbit Sports. It was, in a, it was a, a, um, aerobic studio when we took it over. And this was in there. And we said, well, it's still good. Heavy. It's made of glue and sawdust, I think. I mean, it is heavy. And we drug it over here, Rod and all the guys, just we somehow got it over here. We're still using it. We paint it every once in a while, but it's chipping away slowly but surely. But it works. I mean, until I fall through, we're good. Or somebody falls through up here. So he makes an altar of whole stones. We don't want to look at that. We want to look at Jesus. We want to look at the Lord when we sacrifice. And sacrifice a peace offering there. And there... Uh, verse 32, in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Then all Israel and their elders and officers and judges stood on either side of the ark before the priest and Levites, uh, sorry, the priest, the Levites, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the stranger as well as he who was born among them. Half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim and uh, half of them in front of Mount Ebal. Now they're in front of it because they want the acoustics good. They've got a backdrop of these mountains, so it's going to really sound nice. 
As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before, in Deuteronomy, we read this, they're going to do this now, uh, that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, with the women, the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them. Everybody heard this. The strangers are being those Egyptians and those other nationalities that are with them, but are with God also. So they've got this little valley, and they've got half of them over here and half over here. And what they're doing is they're reading through Deuteronomy. Blessing, if you obey God. Cursing, if you disobey God. And they're going back and forth. And by the time a kid was 21 years old, if you're in this group, you'd have been through Deuteronomy three different times. You would have known exactly what God wanted from you, what he expected, the blessing of it and the cursing of it, obedience and disobedience. That's what he's called to. Now, before we close, about three minutes here, and then we're done. Um, we want to go through the whole counsel of God, all of it. Old Testament, New Testament. It's absolutely all speaks of Jesus. The volume of the book is written of me. Jesus said that. The volume of the book is written in me. It's all about it. I encourage you, read through the scriptures. Read through it. Go from Genesis to Revelation. Start in the middle. doesn't matter where you stand. You know, where do you start? Where can I start? I want to start reading my Bible. You know, anywhere. Just get back to that same spot. You know, try John. If you're one of those, you know, like that. Some people can't do that. That's not in the beginning. You know, that's in the middle. That drives me crazy. Um, start wherever you want, but go all the way through it. All the way through it. Now, Genesis to Revelation makes sense. That's the way God laid it out. Um, I believe by the power of the Holy Spirit, spoke to men to put it in that order. You've got the beginning and you've got the end. It's set up that way and everything in between. And it lines up really, really well. But um, some of you are like, I don't know. Read Revelation then. Start at the end. If you're one of those people that reads the last chapter of the book, how's this going to turn out? Cool. Okay, now I can relax and I can read the rest of it. You people are weird, but you can still do that with the Bible. Read Revelation. Some people are afraid to read that book. That's weird. I don't make, it doesn't make any sense. I don't understand it. It's called the book of revelation, not the book of concealment. It's meant to reveal Christ. So read it until you get it. Just keep going through it. I mean, it's crazy stuff that's going to happen. And you can find yourself in the book of Revelation. Where are we in this book? Where are we? You know, it's fun. I'll give you a hint. We're somewhere between three and four. Two, three, and four. We're somewhere in there. Um, six hasn't happened yet. So when six happens, we'll be gone. Thank goodness. When four happens, actually, that's when we, we leave. But um, read it. It's exciting. Or Genesis, in the beginning. You got all your science right there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's all there. In the beginning gives us the time that had to happen, space, and the matter. All three things started at the exact same time. Time, space, matter. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Boom. It's all there. It's exciting. And then go all the way through it, but read through all of it. And some of you are crazy and like to do those one-year reading plans. I can't do that. I don't know how you people can do that, that one-year reading plan. You can do that. Oh, you're, you're one of those people. I can't do that. It's just, there's a lot for me to soak up. So I'm like on the seven-year plan. I'm more like a seven-year guy, right? But good for you. I'm just, but read it, all of it. Every single day, he's got something for you every single day. And then share it. I guarantee you, whatever you read that day, you'll probably get an opportunity to share it with somebody or something from it anyway. It's always good. Anyway, that's where we close this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. 
Um, we do. Thank you for your word. Thank you for giving it to us, for loving us uh, enough to let us know these things are written for our admonition. Um, even in the Old Testament, we're here to not only just read the story, the history of what Joshua did and how he defeated Ai, but to learn from it, uh, to not make the same mistakes or to have learned what he learned. And he learned obedience. God, we always asked for you to increase our faith. God, faith comes from being obedient. Yes. We increase our faith from being obedient to you. The, the priests had to step into the water at your word before they saw the evidence of your word coming to pass. It was, it was that act. And then they were able to do more and more because they were obedient. God, help us to be obedient to your word that faith may follow, that faith may be increased afterwards. Um, we do want that. And so God, I pray that you'd help us all. Lord, this morning, some of them, some of the folks here didn't know you when they came in or they thought they knew you when they came in, but they realized they don't have a personal relationship with you. They've never been born again. They've never received you as their Lord and Savior. They've learned of you. They've known you. They know about you, but they've never made it personal to where their life has done a 180 and they're absolutely a completely different person. They've just gathered you as data in their, in their minds. God, they want to change that this morning. And from their hearts, they want to pray, Jesus, please, I want to be born again. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins, personally. My sins, not the sins of the world only, but for mine specifically. Thank you for dying for them. And I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I thank you. And I want to be different. I want to be changed and transformed. I don't want to be the same person with you in my back pocket. I want to completely give you my life as you gave your life for me. And I want to walk with you all the days of my life. I want you to lead and guide me from here on out. I want to learn from you. I want to be the person you created me to be, not the one I've become through my sin. I want you to take away my sin. I want to defeat all my AIs, all my Jerichos, all the sins that are within. God, I want to win. And I know I can only do that through your guidance and through your spirit and through your power. So God, would you do that? Would you be my shepherd? Would you rod and your staff comfort me? Do whatever it takes, Lord, to me, for me to be just a good, obedient kid, Lord. I just want to be a good representative of you. And I want to be in heaven for you, with you, God. And I'm excited for that, Lord. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.